good morning. Uh, my name is Sean Myers. I- I'm a-, a pastoral resident here at Redemption Arcadia. And uh, if this is your first time, this is kind of a-, a unique time for you to come, not just because it's Christmas, but this is actually my last time um, that I'll be sharing with you guys outside of visiting once a month, I think is what Frank promised me to preach. Um, um, no, I- I've been here for, my family and I have been here for almost three years. And uh, we are planting a church on the west side of town, um, which is Redemption Peoria, and we'll get into to more of that at the end of the service, but I, I wanted to say this very quickly, and again, if this is your first time, this might not necessarily pertain to you, but um, I just wanted to speak very candidly for maybe like 60 seconds before we get into what we have to um, uh, do this morning. Um, I, I've been in ministry for 10 years, and I'm not going to cry. I've been in ministry for 10 years, and um, in all of my time in ministry, uh, I don't want to just echo Frank because he said this, um, but you guys, this has been, not only did Redemption Arcadia, um, where we had a negative uh, attitude towards ministry, and we were just backwards in all kinds of ways, coming to Redemption Arcadia and being a part of Redemption these last um, three years, uh, not only gave us a, it, it had to fix us first, right? And there was so much health and being around so many of you guys, and, and I don't know how to explain how grateful my family and I am for you. And I had a list that I was just going to read through names, but I felt like that wouldn't do it justice because there's some of you guys who have um, done stuff that we didn't even know. I, I mean, honestly, crazy stuff. I don't know if you know this, pastoral residents don't make a lot of money, and I got a family of five, right? And so we're, we're trying to figure this out, and every time we needed money, there would just be an envelope dropped in the offering box the Myers, right? And it would take care of us. Random, like once a month. Last year on Christmas, we didn't know what we were going to do with presents. We felt like we wanted to give to this organization. We gave the money. That exact amount that we gave, somebody gave us uh, for Christmas. I mean, it was crazy stuff that God has done. Um, Three years, I've preached 10 times um, each year. Both services, Frank Switzer has sat in every single time he's been in town. Every time. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> you guys, you guys have saved our ministry lives, and we're grateful. Um, we are blessed to be able to do what we're doing in Redemption Peoria because you guys loving on us. And I don't care what people say. There may be a connotation that Arcadia is kind of cool and hip, which it is. Um, young professionals and kind of stuck. No, we have been welcomed in, welcomed in and uh, loved more than we'd ever expect, and it's hard for us to leave. Um, but we're grateful that you guys are sending us out, and, and we'll, get, we'll get into that uh, towards the end. Um, he, here's what I want to do. If you can, you can open your Bible to Isaiah 65, but we're not going to get there for a while. Um, if you don't know, we're going through something called Return of the King, <clears throat> and that has everything to do with Advent. If you don't know what Advent is, um, I'll explain that in a, in a minute, but, but basically, um, here's kind of some ways that you can get your mind around it. This is the third time that uh, the third message in this Advent series, and uh, my goal this morning is to really get at um, what the, the, the idea when Jesus comes, what it's going to be like, and that doesn't sound as like end timesy as, as I made it, but um, here, here's what I mean. Uh, Frank has done two things when he's opened up each message. Frank is the primary lead pastor here, lead teaching pastor here. He's done two things really, really well, and I want to use those two things um, to kind of launch us in, in, in the right direction. Here's the two things. He's, he's quoted Hebrews 9, 28 each time and kind of have, sh- have shown us, he's laid out in front of us that Jesus came, as Hebrews 9, 28 says, came once for the forgiveness of sins, okay? 
But as weird as it sounds, if you're not a Christian, he's going to come again. He is going to return again, okay? But it's not going to be for the forgiveness of sins. It's going to be for judgment, okay? And so he turned the word, here's the second thing he did. He turned the word advent into a verb, which really helped me get my mind around why we celebrate what we celebrated. So we believe Jesus advented once, okay? But we also, and, and, and more importantly for us today, believe that Jesus is going to advent again. He came once, but he's going to come again. And so when we celebrate Advent, what we're getting at is Jesus returning. There were, there's a word for that that people use very early in the church. Come, O Lord Jesus. Come, O Lord Jesus. There's a cry, Jesus, please return. And I want to get at that. And so here's all I want to do. Um, at the end, there's not going to be a lot of um, implications or for you to walk out of here, but like, here's what I want to do. Um, all I want you to do is walk out of here and feel like my kids are going to feel like on Christmas Eve, um, knowing they're going to open up presents the next day. There's a, I can't wait. I can't sleep. This is awesome. I'm so excited. That's all I, I want to, if nothing else, for my last message at Redemption Arcadia to use all of my excitement, okay, and, and just make you excited for the return of the king. Okay? And, and um, I'm, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to try to do this in a, a weird way. I've never done this before, and this might fail. I've tried to do this like 10 times in my mind, so we'll see how it works. Um, I want to do a cultural evaluation of a book slash movie that a lot of you guys know called Chronicles of Narnia to do this well, okay? And here's why. I'm the type of dude who, um, when I know a movie's going to come out on a book, I'm not going to read the book, okay? Why would I? Hollywood's reading it for me, okay? That's why I trust the Exodus and Genesis movies. I don't need to read those books anymore. <laughs> okay, so, um, so he, here's the truth. Uh, I was the guy who, when Chronicles of Narnia came out, uh, I just watched the movies straight up, okay? I just watched them. I watched uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Prince Caspian, and the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And so I watched these, and if you were to ask me what those movies were about, um, I would tell you it's the story of these four kids, and I'm just, I really try to be honest with this. I I would honestly say it's the story of these four kids who go to this land, Narnia. There's a lot of talking animals, um, and these four kids are helping return. Sorry, my mic's messing up here. Um, these four kids are helping return and fight against, return the, the way Narnia is supposed to be, and fight against um, this witch that has kind of ruined the land of Narnia. That's what I would say. Now, um, I've actually gone through the books. We're actually currently going through them with my, my boys. So we're, we're actually listening to them on audio before they go to bed. And, um, I know, right? I'm not going to read it. Um, okay. So, um, so we're, we're listening to it. Here's what's amazing to me about, about this whole thing. And here's where this cultural evaluation comes in. Um, when I, when I, when you go through the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, it actually has very, very little to do with these four main characters in these three movies. Like, there's two consistent themes in all these books. So first of all, it's seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia series. They didn't even make a movie on the first book, which has a lot of good parts in it. And they took the three books that have these four kids in these books and kind of made them the main characters. But the truth is there's only two constant themes in these books. There's only two over and over and over things that you see. There's a land, Narnia. It's the Chronicles of Narnia, okay? And then there's this lion. And truthfully, C.S. Lewis is writing these, these, this series of books to teach kids about God. And you see automatically what's happening is C.S. Lewis is trying to tell children, tell us the story about a land and a lion. Essentially, he's telling us a story about a kingdom and a king. 
I mean, the overarching purpose of what the, all the stories are about is a story about this land and this lion, this kingdom and this king. And, and what I want to do is I want to talk about what that is, right? So we're going to come back to the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia in the end. But I just want to talk about when Jesus returns, you guys, there is a land. There's a land. This mic is killing me. Um, Sorry, guys. Um, there's a land that we actually believe will exist. There is a king who will really come. So, so hear me when I say this. We really, literally believe Jesus is going to return. That's not celestial. That's not like invisible. We're, we're not going to be like swooped up into the clouds or clothes left on the ground. Airplanes are going to be crashing. That's not what, okay? Like there, there's going to be a return of the king and he's actually going to come. Now, now here's why I think this is a big deal. Because, like me, some of you have allowed culture to dictate what the Bible says. We live in a world that we believe, and and whether you're Christian or not, most religions, just like most Christians believe this, that when you die, you go to the celestial city in the sky, you're going to drink IPAs with St. Pete, and you're going to sit on clouds. And that's silly. Like, you're not going to drink them with St. Pete, you're drinking with everybody, right? Okay, so, um, okay, I'm just, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um, so here's, here's, here's my point. Um, so imagine with me, if you can, uh, this is, how I think, the best way I can do this. I got this from Luke Simmons. Uh, imagine if I loaded my kids up into uh, our car and said, hey, guys, we're going to go to Disneyland. And we load them up. Corbin's seven. Titus is almost five. Eve's almost two. We get in the car, and we're going to drive to Disneyland in California. And they start getting a little stir-crazy. And so they're kind of going, okay? Um, and so we, let's stop. And on our way in India, there's that McDonald's, right? This is Arcadia. We wouldn't eat the McDonald's. We'd bring our gluten-free bread in and just eat that. But we'd... Um, <laughs> So we, we would go into McDonald's and let them play at the huge playground that's there. And so they play there for like an hour and a half and uh, they hang out and they get rid of all of their energy and we jump back in the car and we make it over to Disneyland. When we get to Disneyland, we stay there for two days. We stay in the hotels and we go swimming in the pools and it's awesome. We jump back in the car and we're driving back home. The weekend's done. I turn back and I, I, I say to Corbin and just obviously this is um, just imagine with me. I turn back to Corbin. I say, hey, Corbin, what was the best part of this trip? Man, did you like the pools? What ride did you like? What was the overall best part of the trip? Okay. We would say he missed it. If when I turned around and asked him that question, he said the 90 minutes at McDonald's, we, we would say he missed it. And in the same way, we believe when we die, yes, we will go to heaven. Okay. But the return of the King is so much richer. It is so much fuller. Let let me say it like this. Your eternal destination is not heaven in the way that you think heaven is. But we in our culture have focused. We've allowed the culture or our parents to dictate what we believe about it. Like it's the story of those four kids when it's not. The story is about a real land. And so, but what, what happens is we write books, you know, 90 minutes at McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's is for real. And, and we write these, we write these stories in these books, but, but it's not the main point. It's not the main point. The main point is bigger. The the main point is so much more awesome. There's a great quote by a guy named N.T. Wright. If you don't know who he is, it's okay. Um, He says this. He says, uh, very often people have come to the New Testament with a presupposition that going to heaven when you die is the explicit point of it all. They acquire that viewpoint from somewhere, but not from the New Testament. Okay, now why am I talking about this during Advent? This gets into a lot of end time stuff and that's not my goal. Um, I, I just want to kind of debunk some golden calves before we get into what we have to and I need you to stay with me until the end because in the end is truly what this whole message is all about. In the, in the end, it's, it's what we're going for. And so here's what I want to just kind of put in front of you to get you really excited. Um, this land, 
that, that, that it is tangible and that it is real. And when we read Isaiah 65, we see how real it is. You guys, Jesus comes on the cross and he, he dies and he, he, he doesn't just die and then the way the world is and then he's going to return and then there's this escapism. We just leave this world. He's doing something in between. I, I have two slides to help show you this. Um, so here's what we traditionally believe. Can you put up that first slide for me? Um, here's traditionally what we believe. You can look at the screen. So here's what we know. Christian or not, you know, at least maybe you've heard the story of the Bible. There's creation. God makes all things, okay? So when God makes all things, he makes them good, very good, okay? And then when we get to Genesis 3, we see the fall. So the fall takes place and, and sin permeates everything that is anything, okay? And so all these things are broken. Creation, us, our relationship between each other, our relationship um, with ourselves, our relationship with God, it's broken. Jesus comes and he redeems his people. And our view is, this is the way we have viewed it, we view ultimately Jesus is going to return or when we die, we're just getting out of here. We're just leaving this earth done. God crumple it up, you lost, Satan won. But that's not the story. That's not the story. Pick up the book for yourself like I did for the first time with Narnia and read it. That's not the story. When he returns, something so much better, so much, so much bigger is going to happen. This is actually what happens. This is how we understand the four parts of the story. Creation, fall, redemption, and you've heard this term before, restoration. So, so everything that you know that is anything in this world, suddenly we recognize Jesus is restoring it. Maybe you don't believe me, so let me give you some verses that help uh, um, get at some of this. So, so here is um, Acts 3.21. I got four of them. There's hundreds, not to mention the, the big meta-narrative of, of the Bible. This is what it says. Whom heaven must receive, talking about Jesus, until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. The NIV actually says this verse really well. They don't have this, but it just listen. It says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore all things. He's going to restore all things. Here's a, a, another one. Romans, we just went through Romans. In Romans 8, listen to what this says, uh, starting in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom. So even creation, it's not God crumples it up and throws it away. Creation's going to be set free from the bondage. Well, now suddenly you go, if I'm just going to heaven, what's going to happen to all of creation? It's just left here. It's being restored. Jesus is doing something. It's, it's, let, let's keep two more for you because I, I, I hope these will help you. In, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 and 24, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, talking about Jesus again, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, hear this, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, hear this, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, suddenly when we think of the return of the king, he's not going to just grab us, right? And then we're going to leave this earth and just watch it burn into ash and it's gone. Suddenly we have to go at least wrestle with the idea that Jesus in his kingdom is here. Jesus in his kingdom 
is growing. Jesus and his kingdom is, is um, visible at moments, and, and we can see him doing something. And Jesus, in his kingdom, in the end, will be completely restored. And we're going to get to what that looks like, but I just need you to see the framework that, that there's, there's more to it than us just leaving this earth. So, so let me put it to you like this. This earth, fully restored, is our eternity. So let me, if I could just, yeah, I said it, okay? Um, the Bible said it, but uh, we'll get at more, more of that in a second. Let me read a, a quote from you. A guy named um, Mike Goheen, he is an uh, awesome dude, known personally. He actually, we use his book, Drama of Scripture, for our leadership development. Um, and this is in that, towards the end of his book, he tells the whole story of God. And then at the end of his book, this is what he says, just as nothing in creation remained untouched by the sin after Eden, so nothing in creation can remain untouched by God's redemption after Christ's victory on the cross. So, so sin permeates everything. And we know this, right? Like, I don't need to remind anybody, like the brokenness that is this world. I mean, good Lord, like how, how many times are we going to have to hear about like child prostitution and Ferguson and the brokenness of systems, systemic, deep problems of our governments, like in our hearts. It's, it's broken. If you've lost your son or your daughter or your, your mom or your dad or your grandma or grandpa, you, within you, you know this is not the way it's supposed to be. Chris Wright in his book, uh, The God I Don't Understand, says it perfectly. He says the reason we struggle with evil so much is because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We weren't created to feel the heartbreak between relationships, to be deceived, to lose someone. That's not why we were created. There's something more going on. There's something fuller going on. There's something better. And the cross of Jesus Christ pierces those things and it affects it all. And and he is going to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be because it is broken. We we know that, right? Uh, Google chief financial officer for Google, had a crazy quote. It was in Singapore. It's something called a fireside chat. And he said, Google looks to fix the world. This is crazy. This is the language he uses. Google looks to fix the world because we believe it's broken. Okay, and so there's, right? There's two Gs in this world we can trust, God and Google. And, <laughs> and, if, and if God says it's broken and Google says it's broken, we need to listen up, Right? Okay, so, so hear, hear this idea. The world knows that it's broken. I mean, we see this in all these different relationships. The big question we have to ask is, what does it look like to be restored? How is it restored? When Jesus returns, what's that world? And this is where I hope to create the beautiful, godly, I don't want to say angst, but kind of excitement, right? Um, Isaiah 65, uh, th- this is what it says. I'm going to read this for us. We're going to go through this. Uh, I wish I could spend insane amounts of time, but, but here's what it says in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I know I just said that God is not going to just remove those, and though this seems like it says, I create a new heavens, new earth, um, the word way closer is like renew. It's the same language in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. Um, if you want to look up some stuff, there's that Isaiah 11 talks about this, Isaiah 29. He's, anyway, set all this up. So that's not necessarily, anyway, let's move on. Um, verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And now what's about to happen is God is going to give us a glimpse of what this new heaven. So God isn't um, making new things. He's making all things new. And as he does this, we're about to get a glimpse into what happens when Jesus the king returns. You want to know what it's going to be like. You want to know what this is what it's going to be like. 
Let's pick it up in verse 18. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be, to be a gladness. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall, be, shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be cursed. So let's just stop very quickly. Here's what we know when Jesus returns, the way things are supposed to be. No more are we gonna have to sit with friends who lose their baby. That's not gonna happen anymore. No more is there gonna be a day where we, we, we feel like, Dad, Mom, I miss you. I want to be near you. That, it, that's not going to happen anymore. I mean, he even gives us a crazy little parallel where it would say that even the young man is considered to die 100 years. Even though there's no death, which we'll get into in a second, that, that he would even say even a young man would be considered. Like, there's longevity of life. There is beauty. There's restoration. It's, it's awesome. So far, and that's just the beginning. And then he says this in verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So here's the first thing that we can see in Isaiah 65. When Jesus returns, it's a lot more tangible than us just floating around on clouds, isn't it? Because suddenly we realize there's going to be work. And anybody who's anybody who's done work knows that work isn't always enjoyable. And yet in the new, uh, uh, on the new earth, we, we, we see that it's going to be more. Like we're going to enjoy working and we don't have to worry about taking, people taking our things. There's security. Let's keep going. Um, I'm, I'm running out of time. I get way too excited about this stuff. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. We'll come back to verse 24. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Here's what's crazy. If you read that and you read Genesis 3 and you look at the curses, um, you see that uh, the, there's four areas of brokenness in Genesis 3, and a lot of you guys have heard this over and over, but have you noticed that like between people, relationships are broken? FYI, right? Okay. Um, it's, it's hard sometimes. I mean, we have to cross uh, language barriers. We have to cross racial barriers. We have to cross socioeconomic barriers. We just have to cross just preference barriers. And so there's this brokenness, but also there's a big brokenness. So that's the first one. There's a big brokenness within ourselves. Like we don't see ourselves as image bearers of God. So you have girls cutting their arms or starving themselves. Because we don't see ourselves the way we're supposed to because we're broken. There's clearly brokenness between uh, us and creation. I mean, good Lord, go on Netflix and see how many documentaries are on that, right? So we see that there's the way that we grow our food, the way that we treat the earth, the way we cut down trees. It's broken. Our relationship with creation is broken. It's not even supposed to bring up thorns and thistles. It's not supposed to be hard to do that, okay? So, so there's these three areas. And then lastly, we know this, our relationship between us and God is, is broken. I mean, geez, like, Corbin asked me, like, how come we can't see God? How come we can't see God? And I'm sitting there trying to, like, I know, buddy, like, it's okay. You need to have faith. But, like, when I sit down and think about it, I go, yes, I need to have faith. But, God, in the end, I want to see you. Like, I want to walk in the garden with you. I want to be with you. I want to hear your voice audibly. I, I, I want to I see and look into your eyes and somehow, like, 
in your craziness, you're going to make sure I don't dissolve to dust, but I just want to, to be with you. And faith is enough right now, but in the end, I want to be with him, stand next to him, have him hold me. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what my heart longs for. And, and when Jesus comes and he returns, that's what it's going to be like. He hears our prayers before we pray them. Uh, before, they call, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet still speaking, I will hear. Let's go back to Chronicles of Narnia. So, um, so in, in this story, what you see is uh, this land. So I've been talking about this land, how awesome this land is going to be. Um, I don't know what time it is. I'm going to flip this clock up so I don't get anything mixed up here. Okay, good. Um, this land. So, so here's... here's this is another thing that's been frustrating with the movies, right? Um, what happens is, is you read these seven books and you go through, they only touch on these, uh, these books, but you get to this last book called The Last Battle. And, and what happens is the witch has really ruined Narnia. And what Aslan does, he's the, the God figure in the story. He doesn't take Narnia, crumple it up and throw it away like we believe is going to happen with her. What he does is he restores Narnia to the way it's supposed to be. As I makes Narnia the way it's supposed to be. This is, can you see why I'm coming from where I'm coming from? It's supposed to be this way. And a, a phenomenal quote, this is what it says um, in this, says all the animals. So there's talking animals, if you didn't know, if I didn't say that before, it's really weird. Um, but these animals see the Narnia, and this is what they say. Um, it was the unicorn, so this unicorn's talking, who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right hoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. The reason why we love the old Narnia so much is because sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. What C.S. Lewis is painting for us is to say, man, we can see glimpses of beauty on this earth. If you've ever been to Havasupai Falls, or if you've ever seen just a person like do the right thing, there's a part of you. I mean, man, we can't watch soldiers coming home videos without just like breaking down. There's a beauty of this, uh, of the world that exists that we kind of look and we go, that is awesome. But those are only glimpses. Those are like, like we see to the beauty, but one day it's going to be fully restored and we're going to say, that's how it's supposed to be. And as signposts, because we don't do any of the redeeming, we, Jesus is restoring. As Christians, we are to be signposts pointing to what Jesus does. So as a mechanic, you go, this is what a mechanic would look like on the new earth. This is what a mechanic would look like uh, 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 without sin. This is what a mechanic is supposed to look like. I do business right. It, whether business or you're washing cars or you, you crunch numbers, whatever it is, you are supposed to be a signpost point, uh, uh, pointing to Jesus. And him returning and restoring things the way they're supposed to be. So here's where I'll finish. As awesome as the land is, here's how C.S. Lewis starts his books. The very first book, which wasn't made in movies, called The Magician's Nephew. And before Narnia is anything, there is this black void, very eerily close to, to Genesis, right? And here is this black void, and it's told from the vantage point of this boy. And he sees this black void, he doesn't know what it is, and then suddenly he hears music. 
And as he hears this singing, he realizes there's this singer. And he can't kind of see, but there's this singer kind of walking forward. And as the singer is singing, suddenly like life is cat, like trees are growing and mountains are growing and there's life. And, 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 and you're like, you see the waters and it's crazy. And, and, it, and the, the description C.S. Lewis does it is, is awesome. And suddenly as it gets closer and closer, there's this singer. And every time he sings a different note, something else happens. It's so freaking awesome. Okay. And, and so as this goes on, here's this little boy and he he describes looking at all of creation, and then he says something amazingly profound, which hopes, um, if you stay through the whole process, as awesome as the land is, this helps us get our mind around what we need to do. This is what it says um, for this. The earth was of many colors. So he's describing Narnia. The earth was of many colors. Colors, you can see he's British. The earth is of many colors. They were fresh, hot, and vivid. They made you feel excited. So this is how the boy's describing. He sees it. They're hot. They're vivid. They make me feel excited. I'm so, this is so crazy that no more is there going to be death, that no more is there going to be pain, that there's going to be gentleness, that there's going to be love overflowing everywhere we go. There's going to be no shadows. God is going to be our light. We don't need the sun. It's going to be awesome. As awesome as that is, as excited as you get, the boy looks down, and this is what he sees as he continues to stare into. They made me feel excited until you saw the singer himself. And then you forgot everything else. It was a lion. C.S. Lewis paints a perfect picture to go that as awesome as this world's going to be, as great and as wonderful, as exciting as we can look one day, it's going to be like this. It is a crapshoot without the king, without Jesus and his beauty, without Jesus being there. What's the point? It's, it's, it's him who makes it so great. And the only reason that kingdom is so awesome is because it reflects its king. The only reason we get excited in its hot, vivid colors is because it reflects its king. And everything else fades away when we look at the singer. Everything else fades away when we look at the one who created it all and will return. Man, may we be excited that that's a reality. May we trust and believe that there will be a return of the king. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We are, uh, we're grateful. Uh, I know I'm personally grateful for my time at Arcadia. I, I just pray that we would be excited. I pray that we would um, feel the wonder that you would want us to feel in, um, in knowing that you're going to return and make things the way they're supposed to be. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.